All right. Praise the Lord. Good morning. As we get into the message, we'll be in Psalm 107. If you want to turn there. Praise the Lord. Psalm 107. And I'm going to start with the first three verses, but as I progress through the message, I'll read the rest of the chapter. It's uh, broken down almost like a perfect sermon of four sections and uh, four pictures that uh, the psalmist wants us to see. But it says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story is what the NIV says. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe. So who are you redeemed from? The very hand of the enemy. Those he gathered from the lands, from the east and west, from the north and south. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, and... uh, I pray your anointing upon this message, and uh, Lord, I pray that it would speak, Lord, to hearts, and um, Lord, it would strengthen us, and and Lord, uh, make us more sound in our faith, and more have more strength for the hours to come, Lord God, in your name I pray, amen. Praise the Lord. This is a message, just for a little context, Uh, they really are not sure who wrote the psalm. But this psalm was written well past the time of David, where a lot of psalms were written. And it was written in the period of time where Israel actually was taken as slaves. They were taken captive by Babylon. And so they were taken to another land. They were put in different parts of the country, and they were actually taken captive. And uh, God had warned them if they didn't... um, uh, begin to be obedient to the Lord, um, and they continued to go after these foreign gods, which the heart of all the foreign gods are Babylon. And God said, if you keep following after these idols, I'm just wanting to warn them generation after generation through the prophets. In fact, the prophets, um, they began to write their the, the books about the prophets and the prophets that were sent by God actually start during the period of Ahab and Jezebel. So whenever, you know, they begin to really get become wicked and start following after foreign gods and rejecting God, um, it was during that time when Ahab and Jezebel were king and queen um, of Israel. And um, so the prophets began to say, hey, if you keep doing this, uh, there's a heavy consequence to what's happening here. And so this particular psalm was written when they went in captivity... And now they're dedicating the temple and they've actually came out of captivity and God is trying to make them understand what just happened to us. You know, because how many know they were a great nation from the time of uh, Saul, David especially. Solomon was a glorious temple. After Solomon, the nation split. And then by the time the captivity comes, it's almost uh, 450 years later. And uh, and you think about 450 years, how long have we been a nation since 1776? Well, they were almost 450 years, which is longer than the duration we've been a nation. And they were the greatest nation uh, in the region. And, um, and so God was trying to show them 
<clears throat> I want you to imagine if you went into if this nation uh, were to be destroyed because of our wickedness. Okay, first of all, some of our greatest evangelists, Billy Graham, I believe it was, or his wife or daughter, one was quoted as saying that um, God would have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah um, if we didn't receive judgment for the things that our nation is doing. And uh, if you think about that, that means exactly what it says, that we're as wicked as Sodom and Gomorrah ever was. And so for God not to judge our nation, um, he would have to apologize to them because they were lesser um, than what we're doing in our nation. And so I want you to imagine this great nation goes into captivity, and you say, oh man, I hope that never happens to my country. I hope that never happens to us. That would be the end of the world. You know, if we were overtaken by a foreign power or somehow we had to pay judgment for our sins. And remember, there were a lot of faithful people uh, that went into that captivity. And so God is trying to explain to them what happened, how they went in captivity and why they went in captivity and, and what was hoped to be gained out of that captivity. And so 106 is a great context for what 107 is about. And 107 is saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, His love endures forever. Let the redeemed tell their story. Let the redeemed, uh, those He redeemed from the hand of the foe, those He gathered from the lands from the east, the west, north, and south. So He's saying, I gathered you from the north, south, east, and the west, and I delivered you from captivity. But 106 is a whole chapter about how they were not faithful to God. It tells all the things that they did along the course of their history where they just weren't faithful and God was still faithful. And it says here in 106 verse 42, it says, Their enemies oppressed them. This is talking about Israel. They subjected them to their power. Okay, now I want you to start thinking in terms of uh, individual lives as we read about Israel. Okay? How many times are we disobedient and it says... Their enemies oppress them. How many times have we been unfaithful and, and disobedient to God, and through that, all the things God warned us not to touch began to oppress us? I want you to think about it. All the times that God said, I love you, I don't want this in your life, but we do it anyway. And we're and this is a pattern of individual. Uh, apostasy. It's not just Israel leaving God. It's also when we are disobedient to God and we run from God. And it says, and they were subjected to the enemy's power. Think about it. Hey, you know, God says, you know, don't, don't do that in your life. Don't do this in your life. Don't do that in your life. And guess what? Because we don't listen sometimes, we go to the foreign gods then we're subjected to their power. We're under the authority of addictions. We're under the authority of difficult circumstances in our life. And we see that the enemy uh, is having his way in our life a lot of times because we've wandered away from God. Okay? Then it goes on and it says, here's God's reaction to their um, turning to their idols. Many times he delivered them, but they were bent on rebellion. Think about it. (laughs) God's saying, look, even when you were running from me and you were bent on rebellion and the enemy's power was being asserted over you and you were running after these gods and these gods were destroying your life 
It says, many times I still delivered them. Wow. And he said, and they wasted away in their sin, yet I, yet he took note of their distress when he heard their cry. Do you see how good God's love is? They ran, they were in distress, they were under the power of the enemy, they did all the things God said don't do, since they were bent on rebellion, and God was still listening for them to cry out. And it says, And when he heard their cry for their sake, he remembered his covenant with them. And out of his great love he relented. He calls all who had them captive to show them mercy. Save us, Lord our God, and gather us from the nations, that we may thank your we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Let all people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, 106 is the prayer. It's the crying out, God, remember your covenant. Help us. We went astray. We went away. All these uh, rebellion that we had, now we ended up in bondage with the enemy in Babylon. All right, do you see 106 is the prayer, it's the crying out. It's saying that we've erred, we've gone astray, and you go, man, those miserable people back then. Such foolish people. But then if we're halfway intelligent, we realize that America is in the same place they were in. Rebellious, bent on rebellion. God has delivered us so many times and we're still bent on rebellion and we love the things that God says don't do. And so they're crying out to the Lord to deliver them. And guess what God does in Psalm 107? Psalm 107 is the answer to their prayer in 106. God delivers them from the east, the west, the north, and the south. He delivers them from the Babylonians and puts them back in their land. And they're saying, man, the Lord is good. Look what the Lord has done. And the psalmist is writing it in light of the fact that they're rebuilding their temple and they're back in the land and they have a home again. But then the psalmist does something that's very interesting. In fact, he has a point to Psalm 107. And the point is, at the very end of the psalm, it says, here's his goal for this psalm. In verse 42, well, hold on, let's go 41. But he lifted the needy out of their affliction. He increased their families like flocks. The upright will see this and rejoice, but all of the wicked will shut their mouth. That means that the upright, the righteous will see that God always delivers those who cry out to Him. Those who are faithful to praise the Lord, God will always bless them. And it says the upright will see this and they'll rejoice and there will be something in their mouth that's called praise. It says, but the wicked will shut their mouth. And their mouth will stay shut and they'll say, I won't worship God, I won't praise God, I won't lift a hand to give Him glory because God has done nothing in my life. I will shut my mouth. And that is the definition of a wicked person is a person who will not praise His name. 
And that's why this nation is on the verge of destruction, because we will not praise his name as a nation. We're embarrassed with his name. We, we, uh, we don't want to praise his name. We want to call it illegal to praise his name. We want to say you can't praise his name here. You can't praise his name there. His name is nothing. God's done nothing for this nation. This is not a Christian nation. This is not a nation that has ever loved God and we want to take God completely out and we don't want to praise his name. And so the psalmist in 107 is trying to make the case Why do we praise his name? And he says, whoever, verse 43, whoever is wise, let him heed these things and consider the great love of the Lord. So this whole psalm is to convince you and me that we should praise the Lord all the time in every circumstances for every big and every little thing. Praise the Lord or else. Because he says, heed these things. That's a warning. You say, well, wait a minute. You're telling me praise the Lord or else. Chad, I live in a democracy. How dare you say that to me? Can I tell you something? The kingdom of heaven is not a democracy. It's a dictatorship. It's a monarchy. You say, well, I don't like that. I'm American. It doesn't matter. He is a king on a throne And if you act with God like you act in a democracy, you could be instantly dead. I'm just saying, He is great, He is mighty, He is worthy to be praised, and either you will or else. Now the bad thing about a dictatorship, if somebody evil is a dictator, but this is the most benevolent, the most loving, the greatest that have ever sat on a throne, the most perfect ruler, and that is the one that's saying, you should praise me or else. And there's going to be a lot of rebellious people that are going to say, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do things I want to do. And that's exactly what this psalm is about. Now we're getting a little bit of an insight on what he's getting ready to tell us. So he starts off. And he says, he gives four pictures, and these pictures are like um, the most simple form of communication. Like, I want you to picture a scene, and from this scene, I want you to understand why we should praise him. And all four of the pictures are really good pictures of what the children of Israel just came out of. They're all examples of a people that are in captivity. Okay, and then they're also, by the way, examples of redemption of a nation and redemption of people. So when we begin to look at this, we've got to recognize the redemption of people because the Bible is a book not about human history because God doesn't spend very much time in Genesis saying, hey, here's how I created the heavens and the earth. Here's how I created the universe. Here's how I created man. Here's how I created woman. Here's how I did all these things to create the universe. He spends about roughly 11 chapters on human history. And then he spends, he spends 12 chapters on human history. He spends 38 chapters on uh, one family. And it's about redemption. How he's going to redeem men and women from the curse of sin and death. And that book is a book about redemption. And so he starts off, and the first of the four examples that he gives is a lost and a wandering soul. It says, verse 4, it says, Some wandered 
in desert wastelands. He's talking about this nation before he brought them back. Okay? He's saying, Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry, they were thirsty, their lives ebbed away. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them out of their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His unfailing love and His wonderful deeds for mankind, for He satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Now I want you to take this in context. He's talking to Israel who had a home. They had a home. And I want you to think about the home they had. It wasn't just any home. It was, it was called the promised land. Okay, God gave it to them. In fact, all they really had to do was walk in there, and God said, I would destroy every enemy. And guess what God did? Destroyed every enemy. It made Joshua look like the greatest military genius that has ever lived. I mean, you know that. A lot of people look at the career of Joshua and they say he may be the greatest military commander that ever lived based on what he did in the promised land. But God actually gave them the land. The people practically fell before them everywhere they went. And so God gave him a promised land. They had a home that flowed with milk and honey. They had a home that was, uh, they already had houses that were built. They had orchards that were planted. They had vineyards that were planted. It was a wonderful place to live But guess what they did when they got there? They ceased to praise His name. They ceased to thank the Lord. They ceased to uh, keep God in their lives. In fact, the prophets would say later that uh, they forgot uh, the Lord days without number. said, how can a woman go from her house and leave her jewelry? But my people have gone days without number. Um, and, And they just had no desire to praise God in their life. So here God's blessed them, God's done wonderful things, but generation after generation they got farther and farther away from praising the name of God to the point that they didn't even know where the Word of God was anymore. They had to go dig it out of a back room because nobody really knew where it was at anymore. That's how far away from God they got, and they were worshiping the gods of the nations around them. By the way, the nations that God destroyed so they could have the land. And so they... God gives the first picture of a homeless person. And he said that the homeless person wandered around and didn't have a home. Well, guess who he's talking about? When you're taken captive by the Babylonians, you don't have a home. And this person was wandering around, and when you're a homeless person and you have no home, you're trying to figure out the basic necessities. Where am I going to get water? Okay, how am I going to get water? How am I going to get food? How am I going to survive? And so he paints a picture and he says, hey, there was this homeless person. Israel, he didn't say it, but loud and clear, it's saying you're the homeless person. He had nowhere to go. And finally, finally, how long do you have to be homeless before you finally cry out to the Lord? In fact, the title of my message is, Help Me, Lord. How long do you have to go in life before you say, help me, Lord? Israel, I would imagine a long part of that 70 years they were in bondage, it probably took the people a while to cry out. I mean, I think that's probably true. They probably initially were bitter. They probably initially grieved. Just remember, they lost everything. This is the... 
This is the United States. If we were ever to get devastated and destroyed and ransacked by a foreign enemy, and we lost all of our homes. We downplay what happened to them, but that's what happened to them. A foreign enemy came in and took their nation that was uh, trusting in God when they were founded, and now it's gone. And so it seems like the end of the world. And so now they have no homes. They're in Babylon. And how long, let me ask you, how long before you say, help us, Lord? Well, you know some of your friends. You know some of your people that are angry at God. You you know some of their attitudes and reactions, right? The prayers that I pray are, whatever it takes, Lord. Whatever it takes. Because my ultimate goal is redemption. I want to see that they know the Lord, and I don't really care as much about their temporary lie. I care about the redemption. Let me give you an example. There was a man was on a ship, and it was shipwrecked. And he was the only survivor of that shipwreck. And this man just was, uh, he had the intellect and the desire to live, and somehow he gathered as much from that shipwreck as he could, and he made himself a little raft to survive, and he's the only survivor of that accident. Out of that shipwreck, he gathered meager supplies together to survive, and he drifted himself to the nearest island that he could find. And as he's on this island, he, um, he has a shelter built. He's got a thatched roof. He's got some supplies there to last for maybe a few weeks. And he builds himself a fire. And so he's got everything he needs to survive for a little bit right here. And guess what? He did it. It was his intellect. It was his strength. It was his desire to live. Everything that he had, he put into surviving when the other ones all died. And a ship comes by this island where he's at. And as the ship goes by, he, he tries to shine that fire and that smoke and make signals and say, hey, here I am, here I am. And to his disappointment, his maybe only chance of survival just kept going. And in his disgust, he just kind of kicks something to the side and the next thing you know, he catches his whole hut on fire. I mean, life's felt like that sometimes. You've taken everything you had to survive. You used all your intellect to try to make it. You've only got meager supplies anyway. And now in your anger, you've caused your whole hut to catch on fire. And now everything you own is going up in smoke. And, and you're standing there looking at it. And you're thinking to yourself, could it get any worse than what it is right now? Could it be worse than this? And you're thinking to yourself, no, I don't think it could be. And the next thing you know, you turn around behind you and the ship is coming to pick you up. And you're like, wow, how did that happen? So you get on the ship and you thank them and you're like, man, I thought you were going to leave me, but here you are to rescue me. What happened? And they said, we've seen your house was on fire. They didn't see the little fire, but when his whole house caught on fire and everything was consumed, that was his only chance of survival. And you say, well, what does that mean? What does that mean? Sometimes in this world, it'll seem like everything that is you has burnt up. 
It's all gone. You're on rock bottom. You got nothing left. And when you got nothing left, then you say to yourself, I might as well try God. And get this, God the whole time was trying to get you to where you just have Him. See, we want to be independent. We want to be able to do it ourselves. We want to be able to to get salvation by works. We want to get salvation by what we do. We want salvation by our intellect and what God's saying. I'm trying to burn it all up so you can trust me and I'll bless you more than you could have blessed yourself. And so God will send circumstances and that's what he's trying to tell Israel here. He's trying to tell them that I'm sending circumstances where you'll come back to me. And you say, well, man, I thought when he destroyed our nation and our and our temple was destroyed, and our culture was destroyed, and our houses was destroyed. I thought that was the end. And church, can I tell you something? Babylon was the most wicked nation in the world that could have ever been sent against Israel. There's no joy in looking to see who the captors were, because it was Babylon, and they were more wicked than Israel probably. But do you understand that God burnt the whole thing down because he cared more about their redemption than he cared about their comfort. Your your prayers are, God, make me comfortable. God, make our nation comfortable. God, make our politics comfortable. When God's looking down and he sees wicked people that are doing wicked things in high places, and, and God is saying, you know what? I, I, I judge these things. God judges wickedness. How many know that? God judges wickedness in high places, and there are people that are saying, we can do whatever we want at God, and God's never going to do anything. And God is saying that to Israel that I brought these things about because I wanted to redeem you. I wanted to bring you out of captivity. I had a plan before you went in captivity. And sometimes we're so worried. In fact, the whole book of Habakkuk is about Habakkuk is about a man who was distressed because God was going to destroy his nation, and he was very upset about it, and his knees were knocking. He was so scared because uh, he, at first he started off saying, God, why won't you judge these wicked people in our nation? And God says, I am. I'm going to destroy them. I'm going to destroy the nation. And then his knees started shaking. He goes, why destroy the nation? They're more wicked than we are. Why are you letting them destroy us? And then finally God had to tell him, it's okay. I'm going to protect the righteous, but I'm going to judge this nation. And then Habakkuk, uh, he said, uh, you're going to be like a deer that has hinds feet on high places, meaning when the deer run up into the mountains and they're not affected by all this judgment. He said, I'm going to put you in a place with me and you're not going to fear what's getting ready to happen to your nation. And by the time Habakkuk was done, he was no longer mad. He was no longer angry. He was no longer shaking. He was dancing. He was joyful in God's presence, and he was like, God, you're even greater because you can preserve me in the middle of judgment. Amen? So he's giving them pictures here. And all God's asking in this psalm is, praise me all the time. Don't just praise me when I rescue you. Praise me before you go in captivity, and you won't go in captivity. And he's saying, praise me at all times. So the first one is the the person who is lost. And God is clearly saying here that there are going to be a lot of things that happen in a lost person's life. Okay, he's going to wander around, he's going to be thirsty, he's going to be hungry. And you say, well, that's enough. Now, God, let him, let him go. God said, no, my work's not done yet. 
Be thirsty a little longer. Be hungry a little longer. Don't have a place to lay your head a little longer. Just wander from place to place. And this is what he allows the lost to do. He allows them to go into um, immoral relationships. God just lets the wicked run. God lets the backslidden run. And he says, and then they go into the sin, they go into immorality, they go into alcohol, they go into drugs, they go into all these things. And God's saying, be thirsty a little longer. Be hungry a little longer. Don't have a home for a little longer. Just continue doing that until finally you come to the point where you say, God, I'm so thirsty. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. And you say, well, man, I'm glad he doesn't do that to the righteous. Church, he does. He'll let you go down these paths chasing all these things that you think will make your life happy. And what you're going to realize is there's only one home that will make you happy. There's only one drink. In fact, he gives plenty of commands. In fact, you start walking through this world and you start realizing, man, no matter what good thing I do, it doesn't matter. No matter... How much money I have, it doesn't matter. In fact, it's a book of Ecclesiastes. You know, no matter how much I drink, it doesn't matter. No matter how much I build, it doesn't matter. No matter how ambitious I am, it doesn't matter. No matter what I, you know, I build the finest house, it doesn't matter. I get all the finest things, it doesn't matter. In fact, you get to the point where you say, oh no, all we can really do is eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow we die. And then that, that joyless, Reality just begins to hit you that I'm not going to be here very much longer. How many have ever felt that deadness, lifeless, devoid of joy, and then something happens? Something happens, and you say, Help me, Lord, in my despair. Help me in my hopelessness. Help me in my philosophy that's not getting me anywhere. And you say, Help me, Lord. I need you. And then the Lord gives you a home. A home. In fact, it says that Abraham, it says he was journeying, and in his mind's eye, his faith was going to a city whose builder and maker was God. And church, I'm telling you right now, if he doesn't give you that home that's in heaven, and he doesn't give you a a, a homesickness for wanting to be there, in fact, the Bible says, hope deferred makes your heart sick. And unless you have that inside of you, unless you're traveling and you're on your way home and your excitement isn't, God, I'm going to be with you very soon. This world won't be much longer. Lord, just a little while longer, I'm on my way home. I have a home. I'm on my way. I have a father. There is no death. There is no tears. There is no suffering in that place. And that's the place that I'm going. Unless you have that, you're going to have hopelessness in this world. You're going to have constant despair. But if you have a home... That's what he's trying to tell them. I'm trying to take away your ideals of temporary homes, and I'm trying to tell you there's a place that I prepared for you, and it has everything, and it won't be long. It won't be long. You say, what if the communists take over the world? It still won't be long. I'll be with the Lord. Amen? Second thing he shows them. In fact, look at the help that the Lord offers. It says, do you feel lost? Jesus says, I am the way. Do you feel empty and hungry? Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Do you feel thirsty? He says, I will give you living water. And he says, do you feel tired? 
He says, I will give you rest. And you know what? I'm just going to tell you something. We, we pray from 4 to 6 here. Um, Mike prays from 10 to 12 here. Uh, Kevin's going to be in here this week from 2 to 4. And uh, one of the things I notice more than anything is how many days that I'm worn out. How many felt worn out? Worn out. And by the way, you don't have to come here for the full two hours. You can come here for 15 minutes at any point of the time we've got the doors open. Come for 30 minutes, come for 45 minutes. But here's the biggest thing I've seen. I walk in absolutely worn out. I lay on that floor and listen to worship music in the presence of the Lord. And when I leave, I'm weightless almost. You say, well, man, that is a miracle. But I don't feel weight. I don't feel tired. I don't feel cranky. It just goes away. It just somehow the Lord, when you fully pray through, just makes you, the the weight just goes away. He gives you rest. And church, we need that. We need uh, an ability to go and just fully rest. And you say, well, man, I do it for 10 minutes. Try 30 minutes. Try an hour. In fact, i got to be honest with you, an hour is when it hits me. One hour, quietly in the presence of the Lord, worshiping and forgetting about everything. Finally, the anxiety goes away. And finally, I feel like I'm in His presence. And finally, I feel like the stress and everything is just gone. And um, sometimes we can go a whole life and never do that. And some people can do it every day. And you say, well, how do they walk around like that? Because they've learned how to get to that place where it all goes away. All right? The second one he gives them is a a rebellious prisoner. Well, listen to this one. Verse 10, it says, Some sat in darkness in utter darkness. I want you to think about this picture now. You see this person sitting in darkness? And he doesn't stop at darkness. He says, utter darkness. I mean, like this is like, you're not only in jail, but you're like in the, uh, what's the place called where they put them alone, isolated, isolation, solitary confinement. There we go. Some sat in darkness and utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains. Now, why were they prisoners in utter darkness suffering with chains? The answer is here. Because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. So He subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled and there was nobody to help. They cried to the Lord in their trouble and He saved them out of their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness. He broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His unfailing love and His wonderful deeds for mankind, for He breaks down the gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. Praise the Lord. Now remember, this is Israel. They had just came out of bitter labor and bitter bondage and slavery, and they had no ability to... to um, they had no freedom whatsoever. I mean, they were bitterly in bondage, okay? And God delivered this nation. So now He brings it back to individual apostasy. And he wants you to begin to think about this picture of this guy that is in darkness, but darkness of his own doing. Darkness of his own doing. The first one was just lost. Okay, the first one and the fourth one, they actually doesn't say they did anything wrong. It just says one was lost. And then the fourth one, uh, it's, it's more like circumstances and environment because it's a shipwreck. 
But the second one and the third one, they're both something that the person did. And church, let me uh, apply this to our lives. How many areas of our life have we decided, man, you know what, that's something I want to go after in my life, but I know God isn't happy with it. And sometimes it may be uh, alcohol addiction, it may be drug addiction, it may be sexual addictions, it may be... um, Uh, relationships the Lord doesn't want a person to have. It may be issues of anger that we've never tried to resolve and we've blown up and done something we really regret. How many know one night of anger can end up prison for life? And so this is a person that is in a prison, maybe a prison of fear, it may be a prison of anxiety, maybe a prison of worry, it may be a prison, but this is a prison and it's not just dark, it's so dark It's utter darkness. And the Lord is actually saying that that person, now how dark does it have to get? I've known people that it's gotten really, 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 really dark. And they still have never said, Lord, help me. Help me. Well, how long should we leave them in there, Lord? How long should they stay in that darkness? How long... And boy, they just sit in that darkness day after day after day in solitary. You open the doors up and you think you're going to have a changed man. You open the doors and like, shut the door. Like, he hasn't changed. Open the door, 30 days later, you open the door. I'm going to beat you up. Oh, well, shut the door again. Like, man, he hasn't changed. We put him in there because of his attitude. And every time I open the door, his attitude is worse. And boy, wouldn't it be awesome one time? If that door got open to your heart and you just said, help me. I'm so tired of fighting. I'm so tired of fighting and being angry and, you know, being rebellious against God. And I'm just so tired. I'm so tired. And you say, man, no, that's not me, man. Every time you open the door, I'm going to say, I'll still fight you, God. I'll still fight you, God. I'll still fight you, God. And God's saying, There was this man that was in utter darkness, and when he opened the door, he said, Help me, Lord. And he cried out, and God gladly pulled him out and said, I'll bless your life. You understand these pictures? We go to the next one. It says, Some became fools through their rebellious ways. They suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed, meaning they didn't want any food, and they were drawing close to the gate of death. They cried to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them from their distress. He sent out His word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His unfailing love and His wonderful deeds for mankind. This is a picture of a person who literally, physically, is suffering because of their deep rebellion. And and you think about it, and what is the sickness that's unto death? You know, death is waiting for all of us. Everybody, I'm, I'm sure, probably has told you that before, that death is waiting all of us. And the, the death, it says in Hebrews that the thing that he destroyed was the fear of death that man has been subjected to from the beginning. And so somehow we're standing at the gate of death 
ready to die, be swallowed up by death, and all of a sudden we cry out because we're at the... How many know that only God allows us to take our next breath? We've got one breath, our next one, and God allows us to take it. But there's going to come a day that there won't be a next breath. And it says that we're standing at that gate of death with a sickness. Now, sin is the sickness. How many know that? Sin is a sickness that will cause death. We're at the gate. And how close to that gate does man have to get before they cry out, Help me, Lord. I've known people that the key is in the door, the door is about to open, and you're about to be pushed in the gates of death, and they still won't repent. They still will not say, help me, Lord, help me. And what God's saying is, here's a picture of a man right by the gate of death. He's about to die. There's no soundness in his body. And that man, in fact, I think of the man on the cross next to Jesus. Very little life is in his body. He's about to die. The man on the other side of Jesus cursed him. And he still wouldn't repent at the gates of death. The other guy says, hey, don't forget about me, Lord. And he says, you'll be with me in paradise tomorrow. And he says, the man at the gate of death cried out, I heard him and I delivered him from death. In church, then he says, won't you give praise? Everybody here, if you've given your life to the Lord and you've, and you've said, help me, Lord, and he's grabbed you by the hand and he's saved you, he says, well, why don't you give thanks? Why is there not praise in your mouth? Why can you not worship me still? And he's saying, that's what's wrong with Israel. They forgot to give me praise. He's saying, why won't you praise me? Then he goes to the last one. And this is circumstances beyond our control. Boy, we've had a lot of circumstances beyond our control lately, haven't we? Yeah? We've got people telling us to do this, people to tell us to do that, and all kinds of circumstances. How many have ever been thrown into circumstances that weren't your doing? You just happen to be thrown into it. And it says, some went out to the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, His wonderful deeds in the deep. What are His wonderful deeds in the deep? Well, He spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths, okay? If you're not a person that uh, sails in the oceans a lot, that means the waves were as high as I've ever seen them. And then my boat went as deep as I've ever seen a boat go, and then we just kept going up and down, up and down. And it says, in their peril, their courage melted away. Have you ever been in a situation where your courage has melted away? Now, what state is that? There was a word for that in the English language. It's called discourage. It means where you lose your courage. And it says that the conditions and the circumstances around me are so bad that I am discouraged. How many have ever been discouraged because of circumstances? And it says, 
It says they reeled and staggered like drunkards, which means they couldn't even walk because the ship was being tossed around so much. They were at their wits' end. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He brought them out of their distress. Now let me ask you a question. How bad do your circumstances have to get before you say, what? Help me, Lord. And these are dire circumstances. They're at their wits end. They're about to be shipwrecked. And finally, they were pushed to the point where they said, what? Help me, Lord. Now what God is trying to say is, Say that every day. Be dependent on the Lord every day. And it says, what did the Lord do? Who started the storm? It says, He, God, spoke and stirred up the tempest that lift high the waves, mounted up to the heavens, went down to the depths, and their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wits end, and they cried out in their trouble, and He brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and He guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His unfailing love and His wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt Him in the assembly, and the people praise Him in the council of the elders. How many know that um, God would rather not you have a chaotic environment for you to praise the Lord? He just wants you to praise Him. He wants you to praise Him when you wake up in the morning and you have a beautiful flower bed. You say, God, I'm so thankful for the flower bed. God, I'm so thankful for for the home that I have. God, I'm so thankful for the meal that I have. God, I'm so thankful for the bad circumstances that are in front of me. God, I'm so thankful for the person at work that makes my life miserable. (laughs) I mean, no, every situation, God wants us to thank Him. God wants us to praise Him. God wants us to lift Him up. And you say, man, do I have to go to church every Sunday and lift my hands? He commands it. He said, if you are a wise person at the end of this chapter, take heed to what God does and praise Him. Just praise Him. That's all God asks. Praise Him. Glorify Him. Lift Him up. Be obedient to His commands. He is a king. He's not a democratically elected official. How many know that? Well, we're going to rebel. I didn't vote for Him anyway. God doesn't do that. God is a king, has authority over everything, and He expects our worship and our praise. Amen? Because He's good. It says he turned the rivers into a desert, flowing springs into a thirsty ground, fruitful land into a salt waste because the wickedness of those who live there. So if they were there and they had a wonderful land and they didn't worship him, what did he do? He turned it into a wasteland. And the example he's giving here is actually Sodom and Gomorrah. He took their wonderful land and he turned it into something awful because they were wicked. And he says he turned the desert. This is the opposite now. This is the reverse. He turned the deserts into pools of water parched ground into flowing springs. Then he brought the hungry there to live and founded a city where they could settle. They sold fields, planted vineyards. They yielded fruitful harvests. He blessed them and their numbers greatly increased and he did not let their herds diminish. Then So he's saying the opposite here. It was a land that wasn't good, but because they praised me, I made it a blessing. Then he gives the reverse again. 
Then their numbers decreased. They were humbled by oppression, calamity, and sorrow. He who pours contempt on nobles made them wander in trackless wastelands. But he lifted the needy out of their affliction, increased the families like flock. The upright see and rejoice, but all the wicked shut their mouth. Let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. The Lord says he's going to bless us, and it doesn't matter what your current land looks like. He will bless you if you praise him. And it doesn't matter how blessed your land is. If you don't praise him, he will turn it into a wasteland, and you'll wish you never had it. Amen? That's the truth. So three things you need to do. Number one, first step is to cry out to God for help because he's the only one that can help you. You can't be self-sufficient. You can't be independent. You've got to learn to be dependent. That's hard for Americans to do, to be dependent on, on God and God alone. The second step is he provides. When you call out to the Lord, he provides in his timing. You say, well, wait a minute, he's going to do it exactly the schedule that I want. No, you cry out, and then you let God answer. And then after He provides, guess what you do? And this is the key next step. You must praise Him. And see, this is the problem. Some of us have been in situations where we've been blessed. And can I tell you, there are a lot of situations where you're blessed by somebody else's prayers and somebody else's obedience. And you don't praise Him. And guess what's going to happen when you're responsible for the blessing? It's all going to dry up and you're going to be confused and you're going to say, well, wait a minute. It's always been easy and it's always been blessed and it's always been taken care of. And God's saying, you're going to have to learn how to praise me like your mom and dad praised me because you lived under a blessing. You're going to have to learn to pray and bless me like your pastor does. But it's always been good at church and at home it falls apart. You're going to have to learn to praise Him. You're going to have to learn to glorify Him. You're going to, you say, well, it's always been good because my dad was always praying and seeking God. You're going to have to learn to do it yourself. You can't do it on somebody else's relationship. You have to learn to praise God yourself. And God will bless everybody who lives a life of prayer and praise. Hallelujah. So we ask for God's help, prayer. God provides, and then we praise Him always. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet. Now we get a chance to put that in practice. Hallelujah. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful, Lord. Your love endures forever, Lord God. Your love is great, Lord, even when we've been unfaithful, all of us. Lord, you honor your covenant, Lord God. You're faithful to us even when we're unfaithful, Lord. Lord, you have our best interest in mind always, Lord. And Lord, I pray right now that you would, um, Lord, you would touch hearts here to recognize, Lord, before it's too late, that uh, we should praise you for every big and every little thing, every good and every bad, Lord God. Everything in this life, we're going to praise you, Lord God. Father, I pray that you're our heavenly home would always be drawing us, Lord, and uh, and Lord, we'd always be thinking about it, Lord God, that um, Lord, we're just a heartbeat away, Lord, from being there, and we want to live every day in this world, Lord God, for our heavenly home, Lord, and uh, we don't want to ever settle too much in this world, Lord, uh, but we always want to be thinking about home, Lord. 
And so bless your saints today, Lord God. Let us praise you, Lord God, with all of our heart, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. destroyed from their disobedience. <laughs> God was so good to them. It's pretty amazing. And uh, as you begin to look through the Bible, you've got three kinds of prophets that came in the Bible. You've got the set of prophets that came that said, please don't continue to do these things because God wants to bless you and this is going to bring harm to your lives. So it's called the uh, pre-exile prophets. Then there were the prophets that came and said, Okay, judgment came. You didn't listen. So here's why it happened and why we're in the situation we're in. Okay, those are the exile prophets. And then there's what's called the post-exile prophets. And all of them fit in those three categories. And the post-exile prophets are, Well, you were destroyed. You were in captivity. But hey, listen, God wants to restore you. God wants to deliver you. God wants to restore you. He wants to bless you. I mean, isn't it an amazing God that uh, after all of our rebellion, He's still sending prophets to tell us that, hey, even though you messed up, I still want to restore you, and I want good things for your lives. And uh, we just have a great God. He just His love is so great, we don't sometimes realize how great His love is. He's just constantly, and you say, well, that was Israel. No, this is you. He's constantly sending people to prophesy to you, don't go that way. He's sending people to prophesy to you, hey, this happened because of this. He's constantly prophesying uh, to you, hey, I want to restore you, and I want to bless you, and I want great things for you, and I want to take away all the terrible things that uh, the enemy does in your life. And so, so, So I praise God for all the care that God gives us. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. You're worthy of our praise, Lord. Lord, you're worthy of our meeting together, Lord God, and praising you together, Lord, and encouraging one another, Lord. You said as the day draws closer, I encourage one another. And uh, Lord, today we, uh, Lord, we pray for the encouragement by the Holy Spirit, Lord God, to strengthen everybody here. Lord, no matter how dark the days get around us, Lord God, let us praise you, worship you, love you, be confident in you, Lord, and bless you, Lord. 
Lord, bless these people, Lord God. Fill them full of your spirit, Lord. And bless them as they leave this place, Lord. In your name I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah.